Um, this morning we're going to uh, begin uh, a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Acts. So uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you turn to Acts chapter 1, and, and also we're going to loop in uh, Luke uh, chapter 1. So if you find uh, Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, you're kind of going to be in a, a good place to, to track along. Uh, with us this morning. And so if you join me in a word of prayer, uh, we'll begin. Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, where there's the places of our life that only you can resolve, only you can bring your comfort, only you can bring healing, we, we ask with all of our hearts, Lord, that you would come and meet us today and do a work uh, that only God himself can do in our hearts. As we begin our study in the book of Acts, um, we're going to be exposed to a lot of that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that it would increase our faith uh, to trust you and to walk closer to you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the book of Acts, and we're looking at uh, uh, verse 1, and uh, the author of the book of Acts is uh, a medical doctor, Dr. Luke, and he writes this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. And so... Luke already tells us right off the bat that this is, uh, this is his second writing to this person by the name of Theophilus. Come with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to see Luke mention Theophilus again. So it really begs the question, who is this person? Who is Theophilus? And I think um, the beauty of it is that no one really knows. Um, we know that he was probably a Roman. Um, we can make a kind of a educated guess that he was of, of nobility. Um, we could speculate. We say, why don't you stick to the Bible? <laughs> we just don't know who he is. And, um, and, and he may have uh, been a partner in supporting uh, Luke in his ministry. And so we see at the, the beginning of Luke's gospel, uh, uh, Luke uh, tells us why he wrote part one. Part one is his gospel. It's comprised probably about 33 years, the life of Christ. And Luke tells us why he wrote his gospel and why he wrote really the book of Acts. And it's the same reason that John wrote his gospel. I'm writing these things to you so that you may believe in Jesus Christ. So that, that as we read the scriptures, the scriptures produce faith and hope and belief in Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, and we know who some of those other people are, right? We know that Matthew wrote a gospel, and Mark wrote a gospel, and um, 
John's gospel is not written right at this time, but Luke is saying, look, I've had a body of literature, I've had a body of historical records to draw from. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitness and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so what's insightful here for us, the application for us, is the integrity and the authenticity of God's word that as we're going through life and as we're dealing with uh, what life offers us, the highs and the lows, we know that the word of God is reliable and true because it's based upon eyewitness accounts. Now come with me to the end of Luke's gospel, and what we'll see is the final, say, uh, narrative of, of the gospel of Luke, which serves as the starting point uh, for the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts, we could say, is part two of Jesus' ministry, is, or we could, we could call it as Jesus' ministry continues through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll unpackage that a little bit as we get there. So we could look at 24, uh, pick it up at verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Where, where else did that happen? Two guys were walking along the road to Emmaus. And Jesus sneaks up behind them, says, hey, fellas, what's going on? And the guys say, haven't you heard about Jesus and all that's happened in Jerusalem? And what happened at the end of that story is Jesus breaks bread and their eyes are opened. And then this wonderful phrase that they use, didn't our hearts burn within us as they remembered the things that Jesus shared with them? And so not only is the New Testament accurate, authoritative in the life of a believer, but the Old Testament is all about the promises of the coming Messiah, 351 plus or minus promises, and the Old Testament all find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. When we come to Acts, finally, you can come back there with me. When we come to Acts, Luke has say, three, four primary objectives to his writing. The first one is that he wants us to understand that Jesus is alive. And we, we know that that was the apostolic witness. So if you looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, and you went through Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, we know that there's at least 10 plus resurrection appearances, and that's what, was, that's what we looked at uh, for Easter in John chapter 20. All the different people that Jesus came and revealed himself to, Luke wants us to know that he's, he's not dead, he's risen, and he's alive. Secondly, right along with that, 
is that what Luke's going to unpackage for us is that, that Jesus is in the Father's presence and he's making intercession for you and I and he has sent his Holy Spirit to us. There's a great little summary in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, that kind of speaks to this. Luke writes in Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is right now. And when you harmonize the other texts, Jesus is making intercession for us. And I'd say, why do we need intercession for us? Well, life is kind of, if you haven't noticed, life is kind of challenging and evil and God's people leak. And so we need more of him and so Jesus is really praying, Lord, give them more of the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill them again, Lord. Baptize them and fill them again. And we'll unpackage that a little bit more. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so Luke wants us to know that Jesus is alive. He wants us to know that he's risen. And he wants us to know that we're not alone. That when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent of our sins, and when we turn to him, he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us. In other words, the biblical language for that is to baptize us into Christ, into his body, so that we would never walk alone again. Never. No matter what life comes, no matter the challenges that we face, that, that we have the Holy Spirit. I like to phrase it this way. The Holy Spirit stands in the same proximity to us that Jesus stood with the apostles. And so as Jesus walked with his disciples hung out with them, talked to them, encouraged them. The Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts to comfort us, to encourage us. Matter of fact, when we look at Acts chapter 8, when we don't even know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with moanings and groanings we, we just can't even comprehend. We're not alone. Luke wants us to know that. So Jesus is alive. He's risen, sits at the Father, sent his spirit to baptize us into Christ, baptize into, the, into his body, to know and to equip us so that we can be speaking to be a witness to the resurrected Christ. And so those four things that he's risen, he intercedes for us, he sent us the spirit to indwell us so that we could be his, what? Witnesses to his resurrection power, his transforma transformational power to those that repent of their sins and turn to him, he makes them a new creation. Come back to the text with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God, what is that? Well, an understanding, uh, do you remember in Mark, I think it's chapter 1, I know it's chapter 1, verse 45. Jesus was beginning his public ministry, and he said, repent for what has come? The kingdom of God has come. And an understanding, and we'll, we're, we're just putting, I don't know if we have a toe in the water or not yet, but we're just stepping in to the book of Acts. I had one person tell me when, when I, I told them I was going to teach through the book of Acts, and they go, oh, there's nothing there. It's just a bunch of stories. It's like, oh, my goodness. The theology that Luke presents, as is, it's as deep as Romans, but it's all lived out. It's not theory. It's not theology in the sense of, I learned it in a book. It's that these guys lived out good theology. Their praxis was amazing. And I think that for many of us, that's we, we have a lot up here, but maybe we need a little bit more in our hearts. I, I know that's, I've, I've got so many books, I think I could choke a thousand mules. But what I need is a bigger heart. And so when we look at what is the kingdom of God, i got a, a little slide for you that these guys are going to put up. Because understanding, understanding the kingdom of God and the fact that we're living between two promises. We're living between the promise of his first coming, which has been what? Fulfilled. So we're, we're living that Jesus has come. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried on the third day. He rose again, and then he ascended back into heaven to be with his father. We're living between the fulfillment of that promise, and then there's another promise coming, right? And that promise is the second coming of Christ, right? in the establishment of his millennial kingdom. We live in this muddle here because we have some of the blessings, right? But not all of the blessings. Like, and if we don't understand that, that Galatians 1.4, that we're living in this present evil age, we're going to get a distorted way of living the Christian life. And we're going to be defeated. Because many of us want to live in the book of Revelation at the end, not the tribulation, <laughs> at the end where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, no more crying. We, we, think, we think that that is where we live today. And it causes Christians problems and it caused the early disciples problems because they, we're going to look at next week they're going to ask Jesus this question. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they didn't get, they didn't understand, and they'll get it very quickly, by the way, 
Acts chapter 2 is going to come, and they're going to fully get it. You, you look at the amazing preaching that's done by uh, Peter and, and, and Philip, and it, it's just, how do they... How did they get this? Well, they got it because Jesus taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And so we live between these two poles. So here's the deal. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we're living in a battle. Why do we need Jesus making intercession for us? Because we leak and, and we're in a battle for him. Why do we need prayer and a study of God's word? so that we can know that we're involved in a spiritual battle and we don't do battle spiritually through human means. We do it through the ordinary means of grace that God has given us, like prayer, like fasting, like fellowship, like coming to church on Sunday, like, like uh, repentance and confession and forgiveness, those ancient things that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2, 42 through the end of the chapter. We do battle that way. But, our, but many, so this is commentary now. <laughs> so you got going there a little bit. Yeah, I will. I'll do it again too. Um, uh, commentary. Most of the battles we're trying to win in our culture today, we're trying to do it in the flesh. Instead of loving our enemies, instead of forgiving those who despitefully use us, we try to do battle in the flesh with natural means rather than on, on our knees before God saying, Lord, send us a fresh wave of your Holy Spirit to change, to convict, and save people for the kingdom and for the glory of God. The world was changed through a bunch of bumpkins, except this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had God's word, and they spoke it out boldly. And they loved people extraordinarily well. The kingdom of God is, is where we live right now, is between these two promises. We long for the second coming of Christ. Titus chapter 2 calls it our what? Our blessed hope. We live for that hope that's to come. But in the middle of this, we need to be filled again and again and again with his spirit so that we can do battle so that we can be soldiers for the Lord. How do we, how do we get to that place? Well, we're going to look at that, but come with me. Can we go back to Luke for a minute? Let's go back to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11. And Luke chapter 11, what we're going to see is the fulfillment of Luke chapter 11 is Acts chapter 2. And so, and it's a great story that Jesus tells. If you ever want to know what Jesus is saying, at least in my Bible, it's red. Luke 11, verse 5. And Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, 
friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Hint, do not do this to me. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, <laughs> his uh, just being obstinate, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, here it is, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you? So often we use that verse, ask, seek, knock, claim it. No. That promise is, Lord, give me your presence in my life. Lord, fill me with your spirit again. Like what you're going to find when we go through the book of Acts is these guys were just, I don't know any way how to describe it. They leak like a sieve, especially Peter. Acts chapter 2, he's baptized into the body of Christ, filled with the spirit. Acts chapter 4, he doesn't have enough of the Lord in his heart and life and working to, you know, he's trying to do it in his own strength. The Lord fills him again with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, filled again with the Holy Spirit. And on and on through the book of Acts, you see these guys, they've, they've experienced a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to this in a minute. Which is, which is being immersed in Christ, uh, identified with Christ, brought into the body of Christ. But after that baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is a continual filling that needs to happen in the life of the believer. How is that supposed to happen? That's the question. What's the answer? Ask. So, you have a doctorate and that's all you can offer? Yeah, because it's that simple. Luke chapter 11. If you find yourself today in a difficult place, ask the Lord for help. Nancy and I pray all the time, Lord, help us. We pray for you. A lot of our prayers are about you, but <laughs> Lord, help them. <laughs> Lord, help them survive this pastor, you know. Lord, help them. Lord, help us. Lord, help. That's a spirit-filled life. Is when you, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, why not ask? Would a good father give you a scorpion? The answer is no. So ask. The disciples had to learn to... St How did they change the world? By being... <laughs> you got you to 
God does has, have a sense of humor. Can mostly a bunch of Galilean fishermen change the world? No. Can a bunch of Galilee fishermen, empowered by the Holy Spirit and walking in boldness in the Word of God, can they change the world? They did. And the challenge for spiritual growth in our own lives, I'll personalize it, the challenge in Conway's life is will I depend Somebody's going to laugh. Will I depend upon my own intelligence? <laughs> Will I depend on the strength of my muscles? No. But I believe I can change the world if I depend upon Christ. That's my hope. I believe that your life can be changed if you depend on Jesus Christ. I believe our country can be changed as God's people call upon his name, as God's people pray, as God's people repent of their sins and seek God's face. I believe our country can change. Do you believe that? That is Luke's mission. That's his objective is to let us know what they did so that we can step into it. That's why he wrote this to us. He wrote to us, back to the text, Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John the baptized, John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Mark 1, 8, the Baptist, <laughs> you got to see this, who lost his head dancing, the Baptist promised it, and Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of it. If you had a set of notes in front of you, let me address and define what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is and what being filled with the Holy Spirit is, and then we'll, then we'll bring things to a close this morning. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can be defined or explained as the work done by the Spirit of God which brings the believer into union with Christ at the moment of salvation. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, Paul tells us that. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what, when we come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, how much Holy Spirit do you get in your life? You get all of it. Whether you choose to access that, uh, that's the, I, whether you choose to say, would you fill me so I can be effective for you? And what's the requirement to be filled? You must ask. And we could expand it a little bit to the spiritual disciplines, which are very helpful. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit is being baptized into the body of Christ. Secondly, the work of God's Spirit joins us with Christ 
joins us with his, with his life, joins us with his crucifixion, joins us with his burial, and joins us with his resurrection, new life. That's Romans chapter 6. We are buried with him in what? Baptism. We are raised to new life in him. That's Romans 6. And the life we live now, we live free from sin. Read Romans 6 this week. We no longer are under the bondage of sin because our life is hidden with Christ. And now this is graphic. Our old man is crucified with Christ. And we live in the resurrection, new life of Christ because of the indwelling by the Holy Spirit. That's why, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, that's why we're a new creation. And so turn from the old man. Put off the old man, as Paul would say, and do what? Put on the new man. How do you do that? Through repentance. Lord, I, uh, I'm trusting my own, I'm, tr I'm trusting my own efforts, I'm trusting my own mind, I'm manipulating people, I'm trying to control. Lord, Lord, it's, it's stinking flesh. Lord, forgive me. Lord, fill me with your spirit so I can trust in you, have confidence in your gospel. Help me to be like Paul in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's spirit-filled living. Thirdly, the Bible commands in Ephesians 5.18, the Bible commands this, not to be continually baptized with the Spirit, but be, to be continually what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we come to Christ at salvation, we are baptized, fully immersed into Christ. But man, do we need the Holy Spirit every day, every moment. And we'll only get that if we'll ask a good God who just loves to do the work of transformation in the hearts of his people. The Holy Spirit gives believers a, a, at least a gift. Some of you have many gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives, in, uh, this is Ephesians 4.11, and the Holy Spirit gives individual people that are his gift to the church to advance his kingdom, not to advance their own ministry. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, for the common what? Good. To advance his kingdom. The Holy Spirit gives pastors and teachers and evangelists, Romans 12 again, administrators, works of help, for what? For the advancement of his kingdom. 
the gifts and talents we have are to glorify God and to enjoy Him both now and forever. Last one. The Bible teaches that we give evidence of our union with Christ and the presence of God's Spirit in our life as we walk in the Spirit, making a choice to step into our new identity. Ephesians 4, 17 through chapter 5, Paul says to put off the and put on and continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what changed the world. Not men that were bright, not men or women that were educated, not men that were brilliant in marketing, not men that had a Twitter account with 10,000 people on it, not men that had a social profile manager to post all their pictures and make them look smelly sweet. They were stinking fishermen who loved Jesus with all their hearts and were filled with the Spirit. That's the book of Acts. Amen?